Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to the PTJ podcast, where you can get the story behind the research with insights into clinical application, study design, and future project plans. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, and today I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Sabine Vesting. She's a physical therapist with the Department of Health and Rehabilitation at the University of Göteborg, Sweden. Welcome, Dr. Vesting. Thank you very much for this opportunity to talk well, today. Looking forward to discussing your article. Let me give a, a brief summary to our listeners, and then we can talk about it. The article she and her colleagues published in PTJ is the impact of exercising on pelvic symptom severity, pelvic floor muscle strength, and diastasis recti abdominis after pregnancy. This was a cohort study with 504 subjects. The subjects had and did not have pelvic symptoms, and the goal was to evaluate whether early, which they defined as during the first three months postpartum, whether early postpartum exercise would be associated with changes in pelvic symptom severity, pelvic floor muscle strength, and diastasis recti abdominis from three to 12 months postpartum. And the researchers categorized their subjects as non-exercises, minimal low-pack low-impact exercisers, regular low-impact exercisers, and high-impact exercisers. So my first question is, what got you into doing this study? Yes, actually, this project started um, from my clinical question about um, when can women start exercising after pregnancy, um, because um, clinically, I am working in the center of Gothenburg, um, in a rehabilitation center. And there we have a lot of women really highly motivated to start exercising after pregnancy. So they are asking, when can I start? Can I start like three weeks postpartum, four? Should I wait three months? So there I was really clinically interested in this question, what can this woman do and what should they answer? So I started looking into the literature um, and found some studies about this and um, that early um, exercising was not associated to the prevalence um, of urinary incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse. Then I also found a lot of these clinical guidelines about when um, they can start exercise and how they should start exercising um, postpartum. But there is there often really short sections about um, what they can do and what they not can do. And there are these short sentences about when it's medically safe. And they are talking about that they, we should screen for urinary leakage and that we should screen for pain and we not know what should we do then when they are have this leakage and when they have pain and um, where we are going from there because when I think my patients or in at our clinic um, and a lot of women postpartum we know 30 percent of women have urinary leakage 25 percent have pelvic girdle pain and then they have this diffuse problem of vaginal heaviness that they fear that their pelvic organs leak a little bit of support during the first month. And that are the group I am meeting. So I'm not meeting the group of which are not feeling anything and they just can start. They have this kind of problems um, after childbirth. And there I was seeing this knowledge gap about what should we say to this 
patients um, having problems, having pain after childbirth? Should they start or should they see that as a warning sign to, to wait a little bit more um, until they start exercising? So there's uh, quite, a, quite a bit of lack of clarity in the field. Yes, you... exactly. It was like this. I like, thought that this guideline is good. And I, I know a lot when, when I have this healthy person that would, would get, just start exercising. But if I have this woman with, and often they do not have just one problem, often they have pelvic girdle pain and urinary leakage. And what can I say to this woman? So that was the motivation and the big question for for this um, for this study, which I did. Could you briefly describe what your major hypotheses were going into the study? Because you categorized people in those several groups. Uh, what were you hypothesizing would be the associations? My hypothesis was that the pelvic floor muscles and, um, and the diastasis maybe would improve during the first year, but that there would be more like a dose response curve there, so that maybe non-exercising would not affecting this, and then that where there would be an improvement in the, this like we recommend right now, it's gently starting with a low impact, exercising, maybe not on the too high level. So the, um, the reason why we categorized these groups was that we were, wanted to see if there like this, yes, is there a curve in this that, that some people are getting better and if high impact exercising might, might be too much load on the muscles um, or on the, or on the um, symptoms that it would um, there maybe lead to more symptoms instead. One of the limitations in the study that you talked about, and we'll get into the findings in a minute, but one of the limitations is you said that the number of high impact exercisers was low relative to the other groups. Yes. So that exactly. would be, yeah. We good. had uh, 32 high impact exercises. So we had no statistically power to say anything about impact on pelvic girdle pain and urinary incontinence in the study. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about the findings. You showed that uh, the women who engaged in low impact exercises during the first three months postpartum, they reported decreased pelvic girdle pain, less vaginal heaviness, decreased diastasis, and increased pelvic floor muscle strength at 12 months. In terms of the magnitude of the associations, were those findings, those associations clinically significant? If we see, if we take a look, I think for pelvic floor strength and diastasis rectal abdominis, I would definitely say yes, because there we could see that the strength was increasing and the diastasis was decreasing. And in terms of that, we in clinical clinic often see that a lot of women are scared about that I'm too weak in my pelvic floor muscles, I can't start exercise, or I have still the separation between my abdominal muscles, so I maybe should wait with something. Then we have a really important message that we know, um, we can see in the study that the pelvic floor muscle strength is getting better and that they will, yes, they will recover. And even if we, I think that we have to acknowledge that a lot of these changes are just due to natural recovery, we still can see that you can start. We don't have this like awareness on oh, no, we we shouldn't start yet. So that is a really important finding here. 
for public journal pain, we are borderline within this range of what is seen in other studies as a minimal clinical important difference. But even here, we can see that pelvic girdle pain is even just slightly, but it is decreasing if you are exercising, um, and we could not see any change in the non-exercising group. So even here, if we see all these other health benefits of exercising, um, and especially in the postpartum period, if you're thinking of postpartum depression, weight management, sleep problems, then I think it's a really, even if like the symptoms are just slightly changing, it's an important message, message to see that we can get away a little bit from this being so careful and feeling like the body is fragile and can't do anything yet because we really can use all these other health benefits. And that's the same for urinary incontinence, but because even there, if we taking a look on the scale, the changes are really slightly, but um, if we see that urinary incontinence is a really barrier for getting active again after pregnancy, this is an important result to see that it shouldn't be the barrier. There are a lot of other barriers like lack of energy, sleep and all these things, but urinary incontinence shouldn't be a barrier to getting active again. Let's talk a little bit about the urinary incontinence finding. The non-exercisers reported increased severity of stress urinary incontinence at 12 months. Those who exercised two to less than five times per week, so they were the less consistent exercisers, they reported less severe urinary incontinence. But this symptom persisted in the regular low impact and the high impact groups. Were you surprised by that, that group of findings? No, I was not so surprised because I knew that ex urinary incontinence is an, a persisting symptom in the postpartum period. It's still like with 30%. It's even seen in other studies that they are, it's about 30% um, during the first year um, experience this kind of problem. I was a little bit surprised that the non-exercising group is increasing in pelvic floor muscle strength, but they are not as of that the pelvic floor muscle strength is increasing and the urinary incontinence is also increasing, which is kind of a little bit of confusing because when you're thinking right logically, if the pelvic floor muscle is getting stronger, the urinary incontinence should be getting better. So there I am a little bit like, what is this saying us about this group? Another problem is that maybe like the hip muscles are too weak, is it like that uh, it's something with the weight. We had not we had not the confounding factor of BMI in the in the study, so it's a lot of thinking about what could the problem be instead. You noted in your study that at 12 months there was still a substantial minority of women who still had stress urinary incontinence, regardless of their exercising. Yes. What kind of recommendations do you give women that you work with? who are still having that problem at 12 months. Yes, um, the general recommendation for um, urinary leakage is pelvic floor exercising, um, so that they really do specific exercises for the pelvic floor muscles, which also work with, with the woman. And it has really good evidence in the general population to do pelvic floor muscle exercising against urinary incontinence. In the postpartum population, this evidence is a little bit less clear but I think it's a lot about that the women are not knowing how they should do that, that they maybe don't have the structure exercise program for their pelvic floor muscles. 
we actually had um, a question about pelvic floor exercises in um, our questionnaire to the study, but it was, yes, it was that the women who were leaking were doing more pelvic floor exercising, and that is maybe just because it is a cohort study. So that's the reason why they were doing pelvic floor exercising well because of the leakage. So that was the wrong study design to study this question. But um, in general, it's pelvic floor exercising. And so, and that was not really what the study was about. It was more like, should we also do general exercising additionally to the pelvic floor exercising? Yeah, I was just curious. I knew it wasn't related to your study, but I was just curious clinically. You also, in the article, talked about brisk walking was the most common exercise that these women were doing. But you noted that walking can be difficult for women with pelvic girdle pain. What do you recommend for people for whom walking is, is a challenge because of their symptoms? Yes, and that's a, that's a really um, interesting question because that's a really the problem with this um, popu population because they want to walk. That's the best and most accessible way for them to, to exercise. And then they want to go with a stroller because it's the best way to put the baby asleep. Um, so they have this woman walking like three, four hours per day because they think that's the best way to do. So there we have really this challenge to um, to find solutions for them and think think we have a great responsibility as physical therapists to find solutions for them to do something instead um, so that they're not walking. And there, I can't give like a general program because there's no evidence for this um, general program, but um, I am working a lot with this finding this solution, how can this woman, can has she the economical um, possibilities to go to the gym, is, has she um, accessible to a gym, um, can she go to a swimming pool, maybe doing some exercises with her baby in the water, um, can I give her an exercise program which she can do at home in her living room, so that's really finding these solutions um, for this woman, how she could um, getting active instead of just waiting to get it better, yes. Are you con uh, continuing this line of investigation? And if so, what, what are you involved in? Yes, I am. I've, now I, I actually finished my PhD for just a few days ago. So, so now my next project will be more about, we, I want to know more about this high impact exercising. So that's my plan because now in this study, we had to Yes, to, we had no idea how many women will do this high impact exercising because we tried to find earlier studies about high, ex high impact exercising after pregnancy. And uh, based on a lack on that, we just found that it would be maybe like 10, 10 to 20% doing this high impact, but it was really less. So we now have to find a better study design to, to look further to this, how high impact exercising is affecting pelvic um, problems after pregnancy. Yes. Well, Dr. Vesting, first, congratulations on completing your PhD. Thank you. Thank you for publishing your work in PTJ and for taking the time to talk to me about it today. Thank you. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.